In the summer of 2002, Congressional Press Secretary and double agent Susan Lindauer attended a secret meeting. She gave classified information to Libyan ambassadors, hoping to aid their cause. Afterwards, she headed home. But as soon as she walked in the door, she knew something wasn't right. Lindauer had worked for years as a spy, so she could tell that someone had been in her apartment. Sure, at times she could be paranoid, but she trusted her instincts. Without saying a word, Lindauer peered inside her lampshades and on the underside of her desk. She didn't find what she was looking for, but she was certain it was there. She tossed books out of her bookcase, flipped over couch cushions, and took apart her VCR. Still nothing. The phone rang. Lindauer jolted and picked it up. Her friend was on the other line. Almost as soon as she spoke, Lindauer realized where the bug was hidden. The telephone. She grabbed a screwdriver and pried open the plastic cover. Carefully, she reached in and removed it from the receiver. The FBI had wiretapped her apartment. They were listening to her every word. They wanted to know what she told the Libyans. Lindauer would have to be more careful if she didn't want to be found out. She'd need to use an entirely new medium, a place the U.S. government wouldn't think to look. It was called the Internet. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Richard. And I'm your host, Molly. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our one-part episode on the Markovian Parallax Denigrate. In 1996, strange and incoherent posts popped up on online forums, baffling users and codebreakers. The enigma showed that the World Wide Web contained a hidden world beneath its surface and set a precedent for future pranks and deceptions. Today we'll explore who might have created the bizarre posts, Some claim the passages were the work of a disgruntled user with an axe to grind against organized religion. But many believe the culprit was a double agent secretly working for the Libyan government. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. 
Before the internet, there weren't many ways to communicate digitally. The first electronic message was sent in 1969. That year, the U.S. Department of Defense launched a program to ease communication between the Pentagon and other institutions. The process involved a complex system of codes and telephone lines and ran at a speed of about 50 kilobytes per second. For reference, that's 60 times slower than a modern internet connection that gets at least 3 megabytes per second. In the 1970s, two Duke University grad students created Usenet, a private chat platform that was separate from the military program. The system operated like modern-day message boards. Each forum covered a specific topic like news, sports, and religion. One of their most popular subjects was politics. With wall-to-wall television coverage, the topic was hot in the 1990s. Usenet members debated the merits of various party platforms. Given all the attention, there were plenty of opportunities for self-promotion. And a political insider named Susan Lindauer seized her chance to make a name for herself in the world. Lindauer worked in Washington, D.C. as a spokesman for House and Senate Democrats. But her jobs only lasted about a year because of her brash, outspoken demeanor. She had a tendency to ramble and embellish at meetings. Even worse, she wasn't exclusively focused on her work. Her true passion lay in the Middle East. She thought the right ambassador could use diplomacy to bring peace and stability to the region. And she believed she could be that ambassador. Lindauer used every opportunity to work toward her goal. She attended dinners with congressmen, foreign policy officials, and United Nations ambassadors. At one of these parties, she struck up a conversation with a handsome, worldly businessman from Virginia named Dr. Richard Fuse. The two hit it off immediately and became close friends. But Lindauer soon learned Fuse was more than he appeared. He had connections to the CIA. Fuse enjoyed Lindauer's company, and she often hit him up for state secrets and conspiracies. For seven years, the pair met every week to discuss the Middle East. As their bond deepened, Fuse felt comfortable enough to disclose classified information. According to Lindauer, one night Fuse made a shocking confession. In 1988, a bomb had exploded on a commercial plane, Pan Am 103. The attack killed 259 passengers, 190 of which were American. At that point, it was the deadliest terrorist incident in United States history. The U.S. government publicly blamed the bombing on Libya. But Fuse said he was absolutely sure that the Libyans had nothing to do with it. Instead, he claimed the explosion was linked to a CIA-run heroin ring in Lebanon. Lindauer asked why he didn't come forward with his information. He said he would take down the real culprit, quote, if the government would let me. This realization shook Lindauer to her core. She almost couldn't believe the U.S. would cover up an attack on innocent Americans. She decided she had to do something. In 1995, Lindauer met with Libyan representatives in New York City. She told them everything she knew about the explosion. This was her first step into international politics. Lindauer's American peers didn't know about her clandestine meeting. 
but the liaison led her to a position working alongside Iraqi UN ambassadors. Lindauer hoped to help these countries lift American economic sanctions and acquire necessities like medicine. But her dealings with the Arab nations also put her on the FBI's radar. According to Lindauer, the Bureau caught wind of her meeting with the Libyan and Iraqi delegations. They allegedly followed her and at one point threatened her with arrest. Despite the FBI's intimidation tactics, Lindauer was determined to maintain contact with Libya. But she needed a way to communicate with the foreign ambassadors in secret. And in 1996, she seemingly discovered the perfect method, the online forum Usenet. Most of Usenet's members joined the site to discuss shared interests, but in August of 1996, somebody logged on with a different agenda. The user posted a long, incomprehensible message. The passage read like a random word generator. For instance, one part read, quote, Air, collaborate, rue, sports writing, rococo. The section continued for roughly another 50 words of nonsense. There were no full sentences and no apparent way to parse the lines. It would have been easy to dismiss the message as a prank or even a Usenet glitch. But then more were posted. Throughout the day, hundreds of other unintelligible paragraphs popped up around the forums. Each bore the same characteristics. They were long, confusing, and appeared to be completely random. Many people wrote off the messages as spam. Even then, fake posts were a huge issue. Usenet even used filters to block unwanted posts. But bots and advertisers always found ways around them. But some users didn't think these messages looked like spam. They weren't soliciting a product or inviting users to click a link. And they all had the same subject line, Markovian Parallax Denigrate. Internet sleuths theorized that the first word, Markovian, referred to a mathematical projection model known as a Markov chain, which was used to determine probabilities. This system involved comparing various possible outcomes to discern which were the most likely. Markov chains were used in genetics, financial planning, and even behavioral science. The next word, parallax, described looking at the same subject from two different perspectives. As one changed their view, the object seemed to be in a different place. For example, if you closed one eye and held a finger up in front of your face, and then switched which eye was open, it would look like the finger had shifted. The last word, denigrate, means to criticize or attack someone's reputation. A political candidate may denigrate their opponent in a campaign. From this analysis, users pieced together a rough meaning for the title. Perhaps the Markovian parallax denigrate referred to a set of possibilities that were meant to be seen from a new angle. And maybe the answer to the puzzle destroyed somebody's reputation. If this breakdown was accurate, then there must have been a secret meaning within the post. Internet sleuths examined the paragraphs, hoping they'd unlock a cipher or a secret code. They noticed a few words were used more frequently than others. The most common were Cindy and Thimbu, which each occurred eight times. Other frequent terms included laissez, pussycat, inflammation, vet, and springboard. But these terms didn't point to any deeper meaning. 
Like the messages themselves, they appeared totally random. There may have been a secret code hidden within the letters, but people didn't find it. However, users had another tangible clue. Each post came from the exact same sender. And her name might be familiar. Susan Lindauer. The codebreakers didn't know anything about Lindauer's involvement with Libya or her connections to the CIA. And Lindauer denied any involvement with the posts in 2012. In an interview, she said, I've heard of this cyber phenomenon, but I am not the Susan Lindauer who authored the code. We can debate whether she was telling the truth. Either way, despite the Internet Sleuth's best efforts, they couldn't definitively uncover the poster's identity. And even though the user posted hundreds of paragraphs, only one still exists today. The rest of the Markovian parallax denigrate was mysteriously wiped from the Usenet archives years ago. But that hasn't stopped people from attempting to solve the Internet's oldest mystery. Nor has it prevented cryptographers and hoaxers from creating new cryptic messages. Inspired by the Markovian parallax denigrate, they reshaped the culture of the Internet. Coming up, an online video calls for a presidential assassination. Hello, I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. And we're the hosts of the new Spotify original from Parcast, Sinister Societies. You may know us from the very creepy and excellent podcast Red Handed, but now we've teamed up with Parcast for an unprecedented look at history's most nefarious groups. Some preach extreme religious practices, others warn of impending doom, and then there are those whose endgame is far more diabolical. Every Tuesday on Sinister Societies, we take a peek behind the curtain and discover the most ominous organizations the world may or may not have known. Learn how entrepreneurial sects made fortunes off their brand, how charismatic cult leaders caught the eye of celebrities, and why strange orders of the extraterrestrial or collegiate kind attract the most unlikely of followers. Some groups convene in the shadows, others operate in plain sight, all are absolutely sinister. Follow Sinister Societies free and only on Spotify. Now back to the story. In 1996, an online poster using the name Susan Lindauer wrote hundreds of incoherent messages on Usenet chat forums. They titled their posts Markovian Parallax Denigrate. Many suspected the passages were spam, but others believed there was a secret purpose behind the words. Internet sleuths tried to decrypt the posts, but couldn't identify any underlying code or patterns. So they attempted to solve the mystery another way, by discerning the poster's motivations. The users discovered that each paragraph appeared in a forum devoted to the same subject, Christianity. The discussions there centered around Boston churches, believers who were homeschooled, and Christians in the UK. Clearly, there was a pattern. One of the group administrators for the Boston Church Group claimed she'd received private messages from the spammer. She urged users to help her track down this mysterious poster and ban them from the website. At first, many people believed the figure hated Christianity. 
Maybe the posts were an attempt to disrupt conversation by spamming the religious forums. But some pushed back on that assumption. In order to bypass the spam filter, the poster needed intimate knowledge of Usenet's protections. If they were familiar with the parameters, they could compile a post that wouldn't be tagged as spam. So perhaps the person behind the Markovian parallax denigrate wasn't an angry outsider. They were actually a member of these groups. Usenet visitors speculated that something on the board had offended them. After all, it's common for people on the Internet to feel insulted by others. It's possible that the Markovian parallax denigrate was a trolley revenge for a previous slight. But the forum administrator didn't buy this explanation. She believed the person used the Christian groups as a distraction. While everyone searched for a religious meaning in the posts, she suspected something else was going on. She just didn't know what. Perhaps we could determine more about the code by comparing it to other secret messages. The Markovian parallax denigrate was one of the earliest and most popular internet mysteries. But other cryptic posts followed in its wake, and some have actually been deciphered. In 2014, a series of strange videos appeared on YouTube. All had been posted by a user named WebDriver Torso. The clip showed red and blue rectangles on a white background, lasting only 11 seconds each. As the boxes flashed on the screen, a methodical beeping played in the background. Codebreakers swarmed to the channel, investigating whether there could be a message hidden within the tones and images. And they had plenty of material to work with. WebDriver Torso posted more than 80,000 videos. Like the Markovian Parallax Denigrate, the upload seemed random and purposeless. With so little to go on, even UFO enthusiasts got involved, hoping the clips had come from outer space. Later, a WebDriver Torso video appeared with an animation of Rick Astley dancing to the song Never Gonna Give You Up. The codebreakers had been rickrolled. Now, WebDriver Torso was poking fun at them. Though the case was filled with intrigue, the truth turned out to be fairly mundane. A few days later, in a press release, Google admitted they were behind the YouTube channel. They were using the account to experiment with video quality. Perhaps a tech company was behind the Markovian Parallax Denigrate as well. The strings of text might have been a way to try out a new program. And yet, no company has come forward, and it's not clear what the passages would have been used for. It's unlikely any corporation could have learned anything useful by posting a series of random words. But that was far from the only enigma on the Internet. In 2015, another mysterious video, titled A Plague Doctor, appeared on YouTube. And the content was far more disturbing. Shot in black and white, a cloaked figure stared at the camera. He wore the same medieval medical mask that European doctors used during the bubonic plague. It looked like a long black beak. Abrasive static flared over the clip. The figure held up three fingers, then one, then two. Then it opened his palm to display a blinking light. It appeared to flash a message in Morse code. The doctor pointed his finger at the camera. 
Finally, a small triangle appeared in the bottom corner. In a series of jump cuts, it changed its location and orientation. Then, the video abruptly ended. Codebreakers examined the clip, eager to discover the secrets in its frames. What they found was terrifying. By isolating different images and overlapping them with each other, they discovered a hidden message. It read, quote, Strike an arrow through the heart of the eagle. The light blinking in Morse code spelled out four words, red, lips, like, and tenth. Internet sleuths suspected it was an anagram. By unscrambling the letters, they discovered the plague doctor's true meaning. When put in their correct order, the phrase now read, kill the president. Another series of decoded numbers gave coordinates for the White House. The video appeared to call for the assassination of President of the United States, Barack Obama. Later that year, a man publicly took responsibility for the videos. He claimed he made them as works of art, not as terrorist threats. He certainly never meant to incite an attempt on the president's life. However, some are skeptical of his confession. Given the advanced coding and inflammatory nature of the video, it's hard to believe he simply intended it as an art piece. But since the authorities had nothing concrete to go on, they never made an arrest. Maybe the Markovian parallax denigrate was also art. Perhaps those evocative words were meant to be experimental poetry. After all, no one has come forward to claim ownership for the posts. Their messages are completely up for interpretation. Which means the Markovian parallax denigrate could have been created by anyone. Like the Plague Doctor video, the phrases could have come from a renegade artist calling for the death of a politician. Or like WebDriver Torso, they could be a corporation harmlessly testing their products. But as we noted earlier, the poster used the name Susan Lindauer. There's no reason for a tech company or an artist to steal her identity. Especially because years after the Markovian parallax denigrate phrases went online, the real Susan Lindauer was arrested for espionage. Coming up, the FBI takes Lindauer into custody. Now back to the story. In 1996, Usenet members suspected the Markovian parallax denigrate was linked to an anti-religious sentiment. Perhaps like later mysteries, it contained a hidden threat or it was a corporate tool. But none of these possibilities explained the rambling, incoherent nature of the post. However, one mode of communication, which is used in espionage, matched the blocks of text perfectly. During World War I, militaries needed to dispatch sensitive information without it being discovered by the enemy. They devised a way to hide the data in secret radio transmissions. These hidden channels were known as numbers stations. At a pre-designated time, spies switched on their radio and turned the dial to an obscure wavelength where they could receive the message. But if a layperson stumbled upon the frequency, they would have just heard a series of beeps. This clip from numberstations.com demonstrates what they sounded like. But it wasn't just beeping. Sometimes an eerie voice recited a sequence of numbers. 
Again, this clip comes from numberstations.com. And occasionally, the transmissions included something even stranger, a series of seemingly random words. Listen to this final clip from numberstations.com. The numbers and phrases contained hidden call signs and various codes, but to an outsider, it sounded completely nonsensical, almost exactly like the Markovian parallax denigrate. Numbers stations served as a simple, efficient, and secure way to communicate with a spy on foreign soil. And they still exist today. In 2010, a Russian spy ring used number stations to transmit radio messages. Many believe the Markovian parallax denigrate was a visual number station. The words were only incomprehensible because everyday citizens didn't know the secret code. Meanwhile, the receiver saw right through the jumble of text. The sender could get their point across without detection. The Markovian parallax denigrate could have been the work of a government agency. Or worse, it might have been a way for an American spy to divulge classified secrets to an enemy state. Each post was submitted by a user named Susan Lindauer. And in the 1990s and 2000s, a press secretary with the same name met secretly with Libyan and Iraqi ambassadors. She even claimed to have worked alongside Saddam Hussein's intelligence services. But soon, the correspondence landed her in trouble with the FBI. The government charged Lindauer with acting as an Iraqi foreign agent and accepting money from the delegations. Many saw her arrest as confirmation that she'd authored the Markovian parallax denigrate. Soon after Lindauer's first meeting with a Libyan delegation, her home was allegedly bugged with listening devices and cameras. This would have made it incredibly difficult for Lindauer to communicate directly with the Libyans and Iraqis, unless she used a different method, a series of coded online posts. Since Lindauer was a counterterrorism enthusiast, it's plausible that she'd already worked out a way to adapt numbers stations for the internet. She could have given foreign agencies a specific URL. Then, she may have posted dozens of cryptic paragraphs to that website. The entries would have been completely unintelligible to the average user, but the delegates would have known what to look for. Using this method, Lindauer could have smuggled information or messages to Iraqi and Libyan officials. If she'd continued to communicate exclusively in code, she may never have been arrested. But unfortunately for her, on January 8, 2003, she made a grave mistake. The United States was just two months away from their invasion of Iraq. Lindauer, who worked closely with the Iraqis, saw that war was nearly inevitable. She wanted to stop it by whatever means necessary. So that day, she delivered a letter to White House Chief of Staff Andrew Card. In the note, Lindauer said the invasion would be a complete disaster. To avoid the war, she offered to broker a deal where Iraq would provide business contracts, weapons inspections, and financial incentives. Card thought Lindauer sounded like a representative of the Iraqi government, not an American official. He never responded to the letter. He immediately handed it over to the FBI. 
They noted that Lindauer claimed that the occupation in Iraq wouldn't just destroy Iraqi lives, but American ones too. She wrote, quote, Surely you know the security of New York and Los Angeles and Boston will be forfeited for years to come. To Card, that was a warning. To the FBI, it was a threat. But to arrest her, they needed irrefutable evidence. So they made a plan to catch her in the act. An undercover agent reached out to her, posing as a Libyan intelligence officer. He told her that after the war was over, he intended to support insurgents who would fight against the Americans. Lindauer wanted to help him. Allegedly, she provided the man with dozens of classified documents. On the morning of March 11, 2004, there was a heavy knock at Lindauer's door. When she opened it, she discovered five FBI agents standing on her porch. They had a warrant for her arrest. Lindauer was arrested for two reasons. First, she'd attempted to influence the U.S. government on behalf of a foreign power. The FBI considered that alone to be a federal crime. Second, she'd handed classified documents to an undercover agent pretending to be a Libyan intelligence officer. She didn't use code in her letter to Card or in her interactions with the FBI operative. The Bureau didn't need to decrypt her communications. They had more than enough evidence to arrest her. The organization didn't charge her until eight years after the Markovian Parallax Denigrate was released. Perhaps she'd been selling secrets this whole time, but she'd stayed under the radar because nobody could decode the Usenet posts. The timing is suspect, but to be clear, there's no tangible proof that Lindauer had anything to do with the messages. In fact, many doubt she was behind the posts. If Lindauer communicated via a cipher in the 1990s, it stands to reason she'd continue using it in the 2000s. If she was a highly trained spy, it's unlikely she'd abandon a code that had proven so successful. Additionally, no one has been able to locate a cipher hidden within the strange paragraphs. That either means it's extremely difficult to crack, or it doesn't exist. And while she may have been familiar with number stations, there's no evidence that Lindauer knew advanced cryptography. She never worked for an agency like the CIA or NSA, which would have taught her these skills. Her job was mostly just public relations. There's also evidence that Lindauer didn't have the temperament to work in espionage. In a psychological evaluation, Lindauer allegedly claimed she had special powers and that Osama bin Laden once told her the location of a bomb. She claimed that during a trip to Baghdad, Saddam Hussein had watched her through a one-way mirror. Ultimately, the court deemed her unfit to stand trial and delayed her hearing multiple times. A government psychiatrist said Lindauer suffered from delusions. The judge said she was untethered from reality. In 2009, the federal government dropped all the charges against her. If Lindauer had committed treason, the prosecutors most likely wouldn't have released her, meaning it's possible she never actually worked as a double agent, which means she had no reason to send the Markovian Parallax denigrate. But if she didn't post the messages, that suggests there was a second Susan Lindauer. 
The email associated with the original Markovian post was susan underscore lindauer at wharf.uwsp.edu. UWSP stands for University of Wisconsin at Stevens Point. The Susan Lindauer that the FBI arrested never attended that school. But a different Susan Lindauer did. She graduated in 1994, just two years before the Markovian Parallax Denigrate went public. In 2012, a journalist from the Daily Dot tracked her down. She lived in Wisconsin and worked for the local school district. When asked about the Markovian Parallax Denigrate, she claimed she'd never heard of it before. Nor did she know about the press secretary who shared her name. It's unlikely the second Lindauer had anything to do with the posts. She had no history of coding or cryptography. It's more probable that somebody stole her email address and used it in the messages. Even though it's not her email, the first Susan Lindauer could still be behind the posts. Though she may not have been a foreign agent, she might have still believed the FBI was monitoring her. Maybe her paranoia motivated her to author the Markovian Parallax Denigrate, thinking she could use it to communicate with Libya. Or maybe Lindauer was set up. Perhaps someone in the government planted her name on the posts to expose her. After all, the final word in the subject line is denigrate, meaning to attack someone's reputation. Lindauer might not have been the author of the passages. She might have been the target. Today, Lindauer is out of prison and living a quiet life away from the public eye. And to this day, no one has cracked the Markovian Code. Though Lindauer may not have been the culprit, she'll forever be tied to this mystery. Meanwhile, the true author could still be out there, aiding an enemy nation right under our nose. Take a closer look at the next piece of spam you see on a message board because it might contain a state secret. Or it may be nothing. And for those who crave answers, that's the most dangerous possibility of all. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time with a new episode. For more information on the Markovian Parallax Denigrate, we found Kevin Morris's article, Unraveling the Internet's Oldest and Weirdest Mystery, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Alex Bernard, with writing assistance by Ben Caro and Angela Jorgensen. Fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein, and research by Bradley Klein. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. You aren't supposed to know about them, unless they want you to. Powerful groups with their own very specific agendas. And if you find yourself on the inside, good luck getting out. Hi, I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. 
Join us every Tuesday for our new Spotify original from Parcast, Sinister Societies. Whether it's doomsday predictions, deadly greed or world domination, each week we're exposing the beliefs and actions of the most ominous organisations the world may or may not have known. Follow Sinister Societies free and only on Spotify.